Hey, beautiful, if you are listening to this live, then Wednesday, November 1st, and Thursday, November 2nd, I am teaching for the last time ever live my 13 signs of burnout healing assessment. Come join me live. I'm doing all three sessions live and I walk you through 13 signs that are based on science and research. These are not just my opinions. I have pulled from a variety of sources to put together an assessment that I could not find, which is for the real woman who is juggling burnout in both her professional life, whatever it is, her personal life, whatever those factors are, and the power of being able to understand what the factors are that are causing your burnout, to realize all the layers that add up, to celebrate the areas that you actually are not experiencing burnout, and then to bring to light the areas that you are, the freedom that you feel to have a diagnosis, to have a black and white number that acknowledges I am struggling. And the most beautiful part about that, the best news, is that you can heal burnout. So to get a diagnosis like this is to say, I validate the pain and the stress and the pressure that I am under, and I now can have a path out of it. There is a three-step method to get me over the next six weeks to a place of feeling so much better. And that is what we do inside my Healing Burnout course and community, which opens today, Wednesday, November 1st. Is all registration is only open enrollment for 10 days. And then we are journeying live together. November 1 through December 15 is my final round of live coaching on this topic. So you have all of the videos and audios. You can either watch it or you can listen to it. It's right on an app. You can do it on the go. It's 20 minutes or less. It's so easy to fold this teaching into your lifestyle and schedule. You don't need to be available for anything, but as soon as you have a question, you can come into our community and leave it for me, and I will be replying with written coaching, with audio coaching, with video coaching to help you on a schedule that works for you, on an app that is easy for you, with digestible content, and a very clear step-by-step map that students have reported in mere weeks inside the program. They have retaken the assessment and watched their burnout score decrease. That is how effective it is. So please do not miss this final opportunity. Go to hillaryrushford.com slash 13 signs. That's number one, three signs. I'll put that in the description. Join me live for one of these three assessments. If you absolutely can't join live, register anyways. Those are the only people that will be getting the replay of it to access the assessment. But please, I know how busy you are. Take one hour to slow down with me so that I can free up more hours for you. I know on a week like this week, friend, if somebody was like, give me an hour, I'm like, not possible. But if they said to me, give me that hour and I can save you hours over the next six weeks and all the way into 2024, I promise you that you've got to slow down in order to have this breakthrough to create that ease that you are feeling and do not white knuckle and muscle your way through the rest of 2023 thinking that magically January 1, you're going to set these resolutions and everything's going to be better. You don't need to suffer for the next two months 
healing is already here. And you can go to hillaryrushford.com slash burnout. And as soon as the enrollment is open later today, that will be live for you to also find out information about the program. Please join us inside. I am so passionate about helping women heal in this area. You will hear more about it in today's episode. All the reasons why this is so vital to every area of your life. And I cannot shout it enough from the rooftops. I am so honored to walk through with this final cohort before a new season for my family in 2024. So I will see you live on that call and inside Healing Burnout. I am starting coaching over there today. So not to be rhymy, but there is no reason to delay. And now we will move into the episode that will continue to play. (laughs) You're welcome in advance, and I hope you're having a beautiful day. (laughs) You're welcome. What was that? You're welcome. With Hillary Rushford. Say it again. You're welcome. In advance. Hey friend, so there's a question that I have been thinking about a lot lately. In my life, in the life of my friends, in conversations that I'm having with you in DMs and over in the garden party, and in short, it's what if this doesn't work? What if this goal, dream, project, priority that I am putting so much hope and faith and blood, sweat and tears and time and money and energy and importance into, whether that is meeting my person or getting pregnant or making money at your art or running a business or getting to the next level in your career or making a relationship work. That could be romantic. That could be family. That could be friendship. And it is such a hard hard, big, big fear that is the subtext that creates so much burnout. And we talked last week about dreams, about realizing, have we chosen the right dream? Where did our dream come from? Where did the definition of what success was going to be in that dream come from? And the reason why I'm wanting to talk about this is because our dreams are so vital to our life. We just all, as humans, we have this innate desire to dream as in vision cast for our life, to say, gosh, I would love to live in a little house by the mountains. You know, I'd really love to have chickens one day. I'd love to do, be part of a nonprofit that was really helping the unhoused in my neighborhood. I'd love to be a mom. I... I really want to get, I mean, there's so many things, right, that are part of our storytelling. We are living stories as human beings, and those stories are made up of dreams. Even if those dreams are, I want peace, I want freedom, I have a dream that uh, my children would be safe, that I would be safe as a member of the queer community or as a person of color. Our dreams are what keep us moving forward. They make stories of our life. They make meaning of our life. But also when you think about it, they are generally the reason that we are burned out. Now let me pause and say, we're going to unpack this a lot more inside my complete healing burnout teaching, but it's really important to me. Most of the things that I am passionate about are really a combination between a 
personal challenge and a collective challenge. So there are absolutely factors that are burning us all out that are not our individual choices. We are in a childcare crisis in this country. We have a healthcare crisis in this country. We have a gun control crisis in this country. We have, there's lots of things that are causing us anxiety, um, you know, anxiety financially, something like a childcare crisis, something like the disappearing middle class, rising real estate prices, rising inflation. I mean, you may be burned out and feel like it is predominantly because you are working so hard to meet the dollar value minimum that you need for the cost of living where you are. So that is absolutely collective. There are also elements of that sometimes that are personal because we have a story about what a nice home is or a wanting to live near family or wanting to live in a certain climate. Not always. Sometimes we truly are like, I have no choices and no agency. This is the absolute cheapest place that I could find and I am still burnt out in this because it is not making me happy. But for many of us, what I've been personally challenging myself on recently is a bit of what we talked about last week, the scope creep of dreams and the impact of living in a world where we see so many people's dreams because we visually see so many people's lives on a daily basis in a way that we did not do just a few decades ago. And so now you see people that are outside of just your town outside of who you run into at the grocery store, who you are close enough to have a phone call conversation with, who else goes to your kid's school. I mean, that used to be the only people that we were really seeing. But regardless, even last week, as we talked about, if our dreams are growing in scope, if they're coming from someone else, that's one part of the conversation. Listen to that episode. But also, It is vital for us to have dreams. It is part of being human and being alive. So we don't, if when we are struggling with feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, spread thin, like we have too many tabs open, like there's too much on our plate, or like we're treading water, we feel like we've simplified, but we're still not getting where we want to get to, it's not necessarily about having less dreams and just chipping away and chipping away and making our life so minimalistic that it's not fulfilling, exciting, inspiring, but we are surviving now, you know? How do we find that balance that we want to have these full, beautiful dreams in our lives, but we want them to make us sustainably happy? And there's a lot of complex layers to that. We'll work through this inside my healing burnout program, but it's not necessarily walking away from a li- your life or a dream. It is oftentimes small shifts, inside shifts, our mindset, our thoughts, our perceptions. It's small outside shifts, the actions that we are taking throughout our days, our weeks, our months, our years that are all adding up to help us feel healthier, to feel better. A dream that is exhausting you can be shifted often so that it's no longer burning you out. Or you can realize, I have done every tool I can, and I am still burned out in this area. So do I just turn the volume down on it? Can it be a part of my life, but just not as big? Or can I take a pause from it? Can I take a season where I need to rest and get a little bit of perspective? Or do I need to close the door on it? And What I've been reflecting on is that a big reason 
we keep working so hard at something. And I say that because I think all of us in this community are very hard workers. I mean, you know, like attracts like. And um, so whether it is trying to date while single, trying to do IVF while getting pregnant, trying to mother well, have a good marriage, have a career success, have, you know, just all the things. We are naturally very hard workers. But I think sometimes we work so hard at something because we can't imagine that it won't work out. We have no idea what we will do if it doesn't. So it really does feel like all or nothing. It's like if it's going to feel like death to not have this, then is it really so bad trying to kill myself trying to get it? If I've told myself that this not working is the equivalent of just death failure, shame, grief, depression, then will I not get two inches from death before I actually give up on it? And it's so admirable and it's so complicated, right? Because this dream is meaningful to us. That's why we're pursuing it. We've done all the work in the Elegant Excellence Journal. We know why this dream matters to us. We've been told our whole lives that it's a good thing to be a hard worker. And so we're a hard worker. We're doing the smart and savvy thing. But you know, a few weeks ago, I shared about this dear friend of mine who has fallen in love while traveling overseas and is realizing this career that she worked so, so, so hard at. And what's really important for me to highlight for you here is she is very talented at this. You know, like you sometimes watch a friend pursuing something and you're like, that is just a bad dating relationship and it's never going to work. And gosh, I wish that my friend could see that because she's putting so much effort into it. And then you have the friend where you're like, my friend is so talented. Of course they should keep going. Like, I feel like I have a good eye for talent here. And yeah, they are genuinely talented. So why would they give up? I mean, this has been my friend's dream since high school. For as long as she can remember, this has been the thing she wanted to be when she grows up. And she is genuinely talented at it. But now, but there's a, a second dream, which is to have a partner. And suddenly she meets someone and it's feeling so good and so right that it's giving her a different perspective on this dream. Now it's, she's almost having to accept what if that dream doesn't ever work out, but maybe it was never going to. Maybe I could have spent 10 years in the city that she lives in now where she can pursue this dream and it still wouldn't have gone anywhere. And what if this is offering her an off-ramp to be like, maybe that was never going to work, but how would I, how would I know? When do you know that you've put in enough? When do you call it? When do you throw in the towel and say, I never wanted to get divorced with someone I had kids with, but this isn't working. I, this, I can't, I can't do another round of, of IVF treatment. Like I just, you know, I've got to close my business, whatever your thing is. When do you get to the place where you say, I think, I don't think this is going to work. And I've been reflecting on how often we don't have that kind of sliding doors, fork in the road moment 
where she is saying, this, this dream isn't going to happen if I fall in love and move to this country with this guy. But another dream is going to happen. You know, God, God closes the door, he opens a window. Like She's having that actual life moment and it's allowing her to have peace walking away from a dream that in hindsight has absolutely been part of her burnout because it wasn't enough to pay the bills, it wasn't working enough, so she was doing multiple things, you know, investing into it. So many creatives, entrepreneurs, et cetera, understand that. And yet I'm sort of reflecting, and I may have said this in a previous episode and she doesn't listen to the um, the podcast, but I've I've almost like refrained from saying much to her. I'm being super supportive, asking lots of questions, totally listening, loving the whole thing. But I'm also conscious not to be like, oh my gosh, you totally met your husband. And like, this is amazing. Because I'm like, what if she changes her mind? What if I don't, I don't want to over, I don't want to affect her decision, basically. If this is her love, I am 100% here for it. If she realizes in a couple months it's not, I am 100% here for her, you know? So I'm not psychoanalyzing this yet for her. But for myself, <laughs> I'm totally always psychoanalyzing what I see happening in my, my friends' lives, in the lives of our community to learn from in that way. And I'm realizing there's a good chance she could have kept pursuing this for 10 years and it never went any further. But she had to have another dream open up and basically be forced to choose between them. And we haven't talked about this because, again, I'm not wanting to sway her hand one way or the other. But as her friend, I am reflecting on the fact that she has been so burnt out for so long and so spread thin and so sprinting and that this new path is a lot more sustainable. And I don't mean like because he's wealthy and he's going to pay for everything. I don't mean that. I just mean it's answered some questions. It's taken a huge career part off the plate. It's taken the anxiety of meeting your person, anxiety of wondering whether you'll have kids. Like it's taken a lot of those anxieties off the plate. And I now am thinking, I feel like her life is going to be a lot less burned out. And because this is about the only way she and I have ever lived. I mean, we've both always been juggling multiple things and careers and passions and all of that. I feel like I've had a front row seat for a long time and it's interesting to be reflecting on what will it be like to observe someone's life who is no longer living from that place of burnout. But I also have had my own moments where I didn't have the choice of the fork in the road. When we did our embryo transfer, I started thinking, if none of these work and we don't have kids, I'm going to believe that we will still be happy. That if this dream doesn't work, it's not this or death, depression, shame, failure, grief for the rest of our life. That maybe we will move to France, we'll end up adopting kids that we'd never met if we hadn't gone in 2024 instead of when we thought we would eventually move there in like 2028 or something. That there would be that pain and grief and loss. And I think that's important to acknowledge that anything that we might eventually have peace with the fact that it wasn't going to work, eventually is the key word there. <laughs> that it, it still doesn't mean, and I've said to her, I think you should prepare yourself that 
there will be hard moments. If you walk away from this career, you're going to see another friend have success there. And there's going to be the thought of that could have been me. What if that could have been me? What if like you're going to see your friend doing something creative and you're going to think, gosh, I wish I was getting to do that. And I think it's acknowledging that, that it isn't just going to be necessarily this clean break. I've had, I've been playing with this very dark, but freeing thought. I am terrified of my husband dying. You know, when you talk about like, what if this dream doesn't work out? I mean, we're having a baby and I know I'm not the only person expecting a baby who's had the thought, I'm doing this with my partner. What if something happens to my partner and suddenly I'm a single parent? And that's not what I signed up for. And I did this because I thought we were building a family together and whatever. I've had other girlfriends share that thought and be like, it's coming into my head more now that I'm pregnant, that I'm just like, my husband leaves. And I'm like, do not let anything happen to you on the way home. Like, I can't, you know, go through this alone. So you have that thought. And I was like, okay, I don't want to go through life just bracing for this dream is okay as long as something you know, horrible doesn't happen. And in that case, I, I started playing with, well, what is the version of, if not this, then something better? And I was like, well, maybe if my husband dies, then I guess my second husband would be amazing. Like, not better, not where I'm like, you know what? I mean, I'm kind of grateful my first husband died because it got even better. Not that. No one ever asks to go through grief and trauma and loss. But you can deeply grieve that it was a broken story, but then also have the belief that you could be happy again. That even if you lost the partner you loved so much, there is happiness on the other side of that. And I think that so many of us, we have some dream in our life where we just think, if I finally cut off relationship with that toxic family member, it would just be, I would just be miserable and lonely for forever. I would never recover. If I actually had that honest conversation and told my mom about the abuse when I was young, like it would just, we would never recover. I would always regret it. And that could be true. But could it also be true that there actually is a happier outcome and that we are fixated on the one goal that is in front of us? And I think there's kind of two two choices, angles, elements here that most of us are, are pulled by one or the other, if not both, in these scenarios. The first is the common adage we always hear that the human mind thinks the grass is always greener over there. And I think we probably struggle with this more often in our thinking that we're we're focusing on, well, I'm really wanting to get married and I see all these people who are married and they just seem so much happier. I'm really wanting to get pregnant. Oh my gosh, it just feels like everyone is getting pregnant and look at all of these moms that are there. I really want to be have my acting career work and oh my gosh, look at all these people who are acting. I want my marriage to be good. Look at all these people I'm following on Instagram and their marriages all look good. Um, I want my business to be easier and look at all these people that it looks like their business is easier. And I think that comparison drives so much of our burnout, the seeing what other people have. And as I mentioned earlier, we see that 
so much more often than we ever did before. And we also see the highlight reel. And we know that logically. We talk about that with social media, that it's a highlight reel. But when you really think about living in a small town, there would be more depth of relationship, more people that you talk to and see their lives. You actually do know more things about. Because there is so much online that just isn't appropriate to share. I mean, my brother-in-law's accident is a perfect example. When that first happened, I didn't feel that it was my story to share. I, it was this hideous thing that was happening in our lives. It was completely all-consuming. And yet, I don't remember what was going on. Maybe I was in the middle of the launch. So I'm just showing up, talking about the Elegant Excellence Goals Journal, which, yes, is a, also an important goal and dream and passion in my life, but I'm omitting this whole thing because I'm not sure that it's my place yet to share this story. And I saw um, someone I follow on Instagram recently canceled a series of tours that they were doing. And she said, it's not my story to share, but now just isn't a good time for me to be away from home. And you're like, okay, you have no idea. Maybe like her husband just got a huge promotion at work and now like there's no, there's absolutely no way that they could both be gone for childcare. Maybe her husband just lost his job and she needs to be, be making even more money this other way than she would have been through this. Maybe they have a kid that is sick all of a sudden. Maybe they have a kid that's been getting in trouble all of a sudden. I mean, you just have no idea what it is. Maybe someone in their life has just, is just getting sober and needs them as a sober friend. You know, it could be positive things. It could be negative things, but we're not seeing all of that. We're seeing what they share and we are paying attention to the things they share in the area we are fixated on. If we're pursuing the good marriage, the motherhood, the career, the finances, the friendships, that's what our eye sees is what they are saying that is good and positive about that thing. But I saw a video recently I might have mentioned this on an episode or maybe I mentioned it in the garden party. There's a YouTube channel I'd never heard of called Soft White Underbelly. And it was interviewing, I guess they just interview, I don't know, fascinating real people. And they were interviewing a divorce lawyer. And so he's seen all of these divorces. And so they they were kind of saying like, you know, you sort of have this inside view that most people don't about the state of marriages. And, you know, he said, statistically, 55% of marriages end. And then there have to be, of the 45% that don't, he said there have to be so many more of those that are unhappy, but they're staying for the kids. They're unhappy, but they've kind of lost their passion for finding anything new. And it's just like, it works. It works for them financially. It works because someone cares for them at home, whatever. So of that 45%, what percentage is actually happy and it's healthy and it's mutually supportive and all of those things. And I was, he said that he has one couple in his life that he knows that's actually happy. And I was like, I feel like I know a lot of couples that are actually happy, but I also realized that most of the time, if you heard from your friends that are getting a divorce and if it if divorce is 
50%, then that's probably ballpark going to be 50% of the people that you know. Now, not necessarily because when it came to infertility, for example, um, or some specific elements in that, like recurrent pregnancy loss, I knew a higher percentage than the national average. So you also could be like, I know the average is one in four people miscarry. I don't know. None of my girlfriends struggled with that. You know what I mean? It's going to be an average. So some people are going to know more people. Some people are going to know less. So it doesn't mean you literally have to make a list and be like, okay, which of the, which of these 10 couples, you know, five of them are not going to last. But most of the time, I think if you are told that, you're shocked. You're shocked that that's happening. Of your friends, you didn't see it coming. And I've a few people that I follow on social media or used to follow on social media or, you know, their podcast or something I was checking back in have gotten divorced. And every time it happens, I feel like this punch and they got these people I don't even know um, that I'm just following. And I'm realizing why on earth do I, I think they look like a super happy family, but of course I, you know, don't really know. And that has just made me reflect more on how the grass is just not always as green as we think for as many people as we think. And I just happen to be using divorce as one example of that. But whether it's the motherhood or the career or the finances or the spaciousness in their schedule or how many tabs they have open in their head, whatever, I think that a big component of what leads to our burnout is the unrealistic expectations we have that always keep us striving because whatever it is that you are pursuing that has really got you so spread thin and exhausted, you could tell me right now, at least a handful of people, that you're like, but they're not struggling with it. So they're telling me that it's possible. It's possible to be in this career field and not burned out. It's possible to be married to an addict and have them stay in recovery and go on to have a healthy relationship. It's possible to, whatever your story is. And on the one hand, where is the balance between, I love that hope for us. I love those receipts. And for so many people in life, that is an incredible blessing. Being able to see that there is proof that this can work, can be what we need to keep us going, and we can be right we can be the ones that it works for. And hallelujah that we had these examples. You know, we talk about representation matters and how many stories of someone saying, I'd never seen someone like me play that sport or on TV or in that field. And I met one person and I realized, oh, wait, you can be a black woman who fill in the blank. So sometimes it's beautiful that we see it. And sometimes we're just focused on the ideals that are unlikely to be us or are a small percentage of what's possible. And yet we keep chasing it because we're like, but one person is out there. Somebody is doing it. And the complexity of that is why we need so many tools, so many angles of wisdom, so many different ways to run our big choices and our small choices through to distill for us what is leading to our burnout because it's not going to be the same for everyone. Someone looking at those stories is going to be what makes them not burned out because there's two, I think there's two generalized experiences of burnout. One is you are 
so anxious. You are so overly scheduled. You are panic clocking everywhere. You are very high strung. You are very high stressed. There is so much to do. You just, you can't slow down. You can't, you always got to be productive because you just, you can't let a ball drop because it's, it's genuine major consequences. You're not going to be able to pay the bills. You could actually lose your job. Your kids like are, are not going to be okay, whatever. And the other side is you're just so exhausted. You're so depressed It feels like no matter what you do, it's not going to matter. And so now you just have even less energy and you're being less productive because everything just feels meaningless and you just start to care less because what's the point in caring? You've cared so much and it hasn't moved the needle. So we can have two very different energies and you'll see this inside our community of women that are both battling burnout But if you were sitting at lunch with both of them, you would be like, okay, Sarah is like on 29 caffeines and Shakira over here is just like, I, she just seems in a really dark place. She's so low energy. And both of them, the root is the burnout. And I think this is why it's so important. It's why it's so fascinating to me, this topic, why I started researching it myself, why I put together a teaching, why I created a community around it. Because as I always say, if the answer was simple, we would already be doing it. We would already have figured it out. I have in essence been researching burnout for almost a decade. I started in 2015. Those of you that were here with me then, I found the book Essentialism by Greg McCowan and was just could not stop talking about it. Was like, oh my gosh, I'm doing too many things. I need to do less. This is why I'm so burned out. I was so phenomenally burned out in 2014. And in 2015, I was like, I'm I'm starting to see the light and I'm starting to like be like, maybe there's an answer out of this. And in 2016, I went on a sabbatical and I was like, the sabbatical isn't going to heal it. So I need to go deeper. So I did this whole deep dive and I created my first course on healing burnout, which was specifically for entrepreneurs called Elegant Excellence, because it was my work that was burning me out. It was trying to do my online entrepreneurship in a more sustainable way. So now we're almost heading into 2024. This has been 10 years of researching this. And it's fascinating to me because it's worth 10 years of my life because If it was easy, I would have figured it out in 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. Like, I'm a bright girl and I read a lot, I listen to a lot, I pay attention a lot. Like, I would have figured it out. I would have not had any burnout if I actually, there was just a simple element to it. Now, has it gotten better over the years? Oh my goodness, yes. And especially since 2021. 2021 is when I was like, I got to break through to a deeper level. That ultimately is what became the Healing Burnout course. I didn't realize I was creating a course. I was just doing it for my own survival. Um, And then I realized, oh wait, I've actually found something here. But there is so much complexity here that we can't have a, a conversation where I say to you, here's the answer, friend. Here's the answer. It is unfollow anyone that is giving you inspiration because they're telling you that it's it's higher and they're making you think it's more and like that's not the answer because for somebody else that is the answer is focus on the hope focus on what's possible don't listen to the stories that discourage you focus on we've got different options and they're going to have different they're they're both going to be right not even for different people but at different times in your life and for different dreams because i 
I did that episode, I think it's 174 maybe, on Wild Peace about our pregnancy. And I was sharing, this is a level of peace I haven't had in any other goal or dream. So now I'm unpacking why is that? That goal burned me out less. Whereas for many people, infertility is absolutely the the journey that is burning them out. Meanwhile, their business or their work is really easy. And for me, that was a lot more stress. So having these tools is knowing all of these layers and angles is so important because the answer is going to be different for you and I next year because there's going to be a different challenge. We're going to be a different person. We're going to be in a different scenario. And we need to have the wisdom and all of those options to be able to sift through and say, I think this, I think I need a different tactic than I did in that other thing. I'm also feeling burnt out, but it feels so different. It's manifesting so differently. So I think sometimes it's the fact that the grass is always greener, as we kind of talked about last week, makes our goal get bigger and bigger or makes us keep chasing and chasing because we are focused on what we're, what our eye is seeing. In our brains, we have something called the RAS, the reticular activation system. It's the same adage that we've heard, what you focus on grows. When you know someone that has uterine cancer, suddenly you keep hearing about people with uterine cancer. When you want to buy a red car, you suddenly start noticing more red cars. Like just whatever is you are focused on, you are going to see more often. So if you were focused on the fact that everyone but you in entrepreneurship doesn't seem to be exhausted, that's all you're going to be seeing. Everyone but you seems to be fulfilled in motherhood, that's all you're going to be seeing. Or the reverse, you're going to see everyone who is miserable and now you're almost just camping out in that okay, so we're all miserable. We're all, there's no way out of this. Like it's either the, I'm running anxious because I I can see that other people are doing it or it's the, I'm just totally depressed about this because it looks like everyone in my position is, you know, just as miserable. So that's when we are looking at what other people's reality is, that, that the grass is greener there. But I also think a huge, huge component that I've been reflecting on is the belief that the grass is greener where we are. Now, it is very confusing to be a human, right? Because how is it possible that I believe you and I literally have this thought simultaneously about the exact same things in our lives? (laughs) We're like, I feel like everyone else is better at mother, is having an easier time at motherhood, and I'm just like so trying to be like them. And then also, I can't imagine not being a working mom, there's no way that I would be happy doing it. And so I'm not even considering what if I was a stay-at-home mom or I mean, I don't know if that's a good example, but you know, whatever you're doing right now that's burning you out, let's say it's the working mom thing and you're, and, and you have the, uh, the blessing of the financial choice that you could say in lieu of childcare, I will, you know, choose to stay home. Not everyone has that privilege, but I'm just using this as an example that you're fixated on. Look at all these working moms. They seem to be happier. Like I can keep doing it. But you also are like, but I'm totally committed that my only option is to be the working mom or whatever it is. We're saying I am my, my, my friend with her career keeps pursuing, keeps pursuing, keeps pursuing. I want this. I need this. I'm good at this. I should be able to do this. And I'm like, you are right, girl. You are, you are good at this. You should be able to do this. She is right. And yet we ultimately have a sunk cost bias that we cling tightly to what we have 
our option A, this plan, this path. And I think we talk about the grass is greener more often. I think we talk about jealousy and comparison more often in culture, so we're more aware of it. We all know the people that we're jealous of. I think we are much less consciously aware of the things in our life that we are allowing to let us, let it burn us out. Because we're like, well, there's no other option but this. I can't imagine walking away from this thing. So I'm going to write it until it just about kills me because to walk away from it would feel like death. And I've been reflecting on how when, and we'll talk about more this more inside healing burnout, but when we are burned out is the time when we most lack the clear thinking to make wiser choices to get less burned out. It's absolutely that chicken or the egg conundrum that when the dream is exhausting you and you're sprinting or when it is depressing you and you are feeling unmotivated that either way, your nervous system is fried, your brain is foggy, you're, you're too close to the situation Your emotions are too strong, whether the anxiety or the depression, to be able to see clearly. And that the path to healing burnout is the path to calming the anxiety or lifting the depression so that you can see more clearly. You can have more spaciousness to be able to say, is it a little bit more like last week where maybe my my definitions have just grown and grown and I'm having lifestyle creep and the more I make, the more I spend and I keep going from nicer house to nicer house or the things I use on my face are, are getting more expensive. The clothes that I wear are getting more expensive. And so that's why ultimately things are getting higher and higher. Or I've just been, I'm pursuing the dream because it's my passion. It's always been my passion. It's what people say I'm talented at. I'm just going and nobody is telling me that I should quit. Nobody's telling me I'm not talented at this. I'm not getting any signs from the universe that I should walk away. Like what are the things that we're doing that we're not really fully deeply cognizant of because we don't have the space to think clearly and that healing our burnout is the step that is needed so that we can create the space to shine the light to then figure out, okay, is there a dream here that is not quite right anymore or not, I don't need the full definition of it actually to be happy like we talked about last week or am I looking at a few ideal people and that's what I'm chasing and honestly 95% of the people in my field that's not the reality for and And am I sure I want to keep doing this for a shot at the 5%? Like, is that actually a much smaller percentage than I'm thinking of? Or am I just really fixated on the fact that living in this city is the only place that I could be happy or being, you know, I would be miserable if we left this community of faith, but it is exhausting me. You know, whatever your story is, healing your burnout is how you are able to see your story, 
to then take the next steps to continue to heal your burnout by making wiser choices for yourself that are really, truly going to make you happy and therefore, if you have a partner and children, et cetera, the, the, the people around you happier. And I've been picturing this friend, the one that's overseas now falling in love, and I was thinking back to a few years ago when she was a lot more burned out and just less, less grounded, less clear, less confident, less calm, because those are all attributes that come when we start to heal our burnout. And for her, it was multifaceted. It was partially being my friend and the things that I'm talking about and learning that I'm sharing with her. It was partially her circumstance, having some things change in her life where she's like, you know what? That scenario was burning me out, but I couldn't see it until the universe took it away. And now I'm like, oh, this feels a lot better. It was partially her making choices and saying, I think this thing is burning me out. I'm really scared to do this or say this, but I think I need to take a break and walk away and then going, oh my gosh, okay, yes, this is so much better. And I was thinking a few years ago before she'd really done a lot of healing in the last few years, that I think it would have been so much harder for her to actually trust what she was thinking and feeling and knowing to say yes to this love story, even if it meant walking away from one of her career dreams. And the peace that she has had with this, like I'm not hearing her anxious, I'm not hearing her panicking, I'm hearing a quiet calm where she's like, I think this is my husband and I'm pretty sure I'm moving here. And I think that's feeling great. And I think I'm okay with that career ending. And I think actually that this thing I know about myself and this thing that I've said before and this thing that I said I've liked, like they're all here. And I, I mean, we've all had that friend, right? Where you've been friends for so long and now you're seeing them go through growth and healing and you're thinking, oh my gosh, you just sound so much healthier than you did. I don't mean that in a in a judgmental way. Like hopefully, we all do. Hopefully, if you go back to the beginning of the podcast in 2019 to now, you would be like, Hillary, you sound a lot healthier in the last four years. I mean, that's what we all want to be doing, right? It's not a judgment of like, you were kind of a hot mess back then. What we all want is to be better than we were a few years ago. And the people who really know us in our lives can tell the difference. And they too are in a place that is so much better. But I'm realizing that her ability to let something huge and burning her out go, to say yes to something that's more joy and ease, it's only easy for her to make that choice because she is less burned out. She did work starting four years ago that allowed her to make a clear and chaos-free I think, I, meaning I, I'm pretty sure it's going to work. I'm pretty sure it's going to stick. I'm pretty sure that she is burying this guy and moving there. And guys, this is wild. It's literally been like six weeks. And I'm not a person who's just like, oh yeah, whatever. I have total peace for her because I've watched her do the work and I've done the work alongside of her. I'm not bringing anxious burnout to the friendship. I'm not bringing my anxiety to her. But then what is it? what if it doesn't work? I mean, I just don't, I just don't know. Because then wouldn't you... You've been that friend at times, right? Or maybe you're that friend right now and you realize, oh my gosh, Hillary, it's because I'm so burned out that I bring my anxiety into conversations and then I freak, I freak everybody else out about their lives. 
and, and I'm a little bit stressed out, stressful to talk to, or I'm so burnt out, I'm really depressed. And I've been feeling like my friends are pulling away and I've been feeling more lonely and I've been feeling more resentful. And maybe it's because I'm burned out and I'm just, I'm such, I'm such a drag to be around. And my friends are having their own struggles and it is real hard to go to yet another dinner with someone where you just leave feeling like, oh my gosh, <laughs> Emma just, everything in her life is always going wrong. And I just, I want to, I want to get out of the house and, you know, leave my kids with my partner and like come back feeling better. But I don't like being friends with Emma actually is burning me out because, you know, and there's a difference. There's a difference when we are healthier and our friends are healthier. Now we can mutually hold that space. I have had hard, hard, hard conversations with friends recently, and I don't feel depleted by it because actually I've done my work and they've done their work and we can both be freaking the frick out or totally hopeless and depressed. And we're actually not yanking one another in that direction. So it doesn't mean you're never anxious or you're never depressed, but there's an extremeness when we're burned out to those emotions that really pulls other people. And there is a centeredness when we have, when we know how to heal our burnout, that I can be highly anxious or really borderline depressed. And I am still more centered than I would have been four years ago, four, eight or eight years ago by far. I still have those emotions. I'm not just Zen all the time, but I am so much more centered. It's like, you know, I'm throwing my arms out where you sort of feel this chaotic sweep in your life to like, you're anxious and you're all the way up here. You're depressed and you're all the way down here. Or you just bring your arms together where they're like shoulder width apart. And you're like, the range only goes from here to here. It's not a full wingspan. Is there still anxiety? Is there still depression? Yes. But am I more centered in my being? And then from there, I bring that energy into my conversations with my friends. And I'm more attracted to people who bring that energy into their conversations and their advice with me. And I can see that this friend is more centered. And so it's easier for her to make this big life choice without the big emotional swings. What if I regret everything? What if I'm totally miserable over here? Like she's not doing as much catastrophizing She's not doing idealizing either. It's clear thinking because she's not as burned out. You know, I was reflecting about this time last year, actually. I had a colleague friend in my life who was deeply burned out. And she couldn't see that she was creating so much chaos because of it. She was overcomplicating everything. She was catastrophizing everything. And we were collaborating on something. And so we kept having moments where I was like, why didn't you tell me that? And she's like, well, I just thought you would be upset. I'm like, why would I have been upset about that? Can you think of any past? Can you give me any evidence that, that I would have been upset about that? Like, that just doesn't seem logical. And once we talked about it, she was like, you're right. I guess I don't know. It would have been weird for you to be upset about that. And I'm like, yeah. Like, let's say like the thing was, I have the flu today. Have I ever been mad at someone for getting sick? Like, that's just so preposterous. How could that 
have been a thing. Like bummed, sure that you're like, oh, that's inconvenient. You can't come or you can't do a thing. But mad? Who gets mad at someone for having the flu? But when things like that happen and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm now totally panicking. I'm not going to tell this person. I'm going to tell a white lie. I'm going to try to cover for it. And da, 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 da. And I just realized they're so burned out that someone that I have known in another time in their life being clear and calm headed, even in crisis, even in challenge, they're just not, I, they're not a safe person to be around. They're not trustworthy, whether that means, you know, an an employee, a a collaborator, some a friend that you're going to advice to, a you know, someone that you're trusting your your kids with for for childcare or whatever. When we are in panic or depression, our thinking narrows. We have less options. We can only see the option A ahead of us. My first thought was she's going to be mad that I'm sick. And I don't even go to, can I absolutely know for sure, in the words of Byron Katie, can I absolutely know for sure that it's true that she would be mad that I had the flu? And this was not the story. I'm just using a random example. But like when we go to the, this, this is it. This is hopeless. This is, this is devastating. I'm never going to recover from this. I'm never going to recover from this shame. I'm always going to be alone. There's no way I could be happy without a child. There's no way, like if a situation in your life, it doesn't have to be your whole life, but a situation in your life feels like doomsday, if it doesn't work, you're burned out. And I've never thought about it that way before. But it's a narrowed way of thinking when you say, I am so fixated on this thing, I am incapable of playing out a plan B scenario. There's a page in the Ellen Excellence Journal that has you write out your ideal day 10 years from now or three years from now or something. And then it says, change at least one major component and write it out again. Now change yet another major component and write it out again. So what if you, you've got your dream plan and now in the second version of that story, you don't have a partner. You're not a mother. You aren't a surgeon after med school. You aren't, you, you don't run your own business. You, whatever it is. What if you change a major component? If you can't imagine yourself being happy in that scenario again, you're burned out because your, your thinking is so narrowed and you've put so much emphasis on this plan A if everyone feels like they're doing better or a lot of people feel like they're doing better in this area, you're burned out. You're focusing on everyone who doesn't have what, who has what you don't have. If we're constantly looking at the grass is always greener, thinking other people, this is easier for other people. How is this easier for other people? You're burned out. If we're constantly focused on this is the only way that I could be happy. This is the only green grass that is available. You're burned out. Because what if it doesn't work out? As you heal and have the tools, somehow it will be okay. Multiple people have survived this. Whatever it is, thousands Thousands, tens of thousands of people 
hundreds of thousands of people, I don't know, modern day throughout history, I mean, have survived this. My brother-in-law is in a power wheelchair right now. I don't know the stats on that, but a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of other people around the globe are also in a power wheelchair. And there's a big chunk of them that have beautiful, full lives with joy and with meaning. But the importance there is having the tools to heal, having the tools to choose, knowing what the options are, knowing all of the the levels and the options and the layers and the perspectives that are available to you so that we really can craft a life even in the midst of disappointment and grief and overwhelm and the financial realities that are in the country and the realities of childcare and the realities of being a member of the LGBTQ community and all of those things, we're not denying it. We're not Pollyanna-ishing it. We're not idealizing it to say, oh, it's going to be beautiful after this. I mean, we kind of go back to the episode from two weeks ago on the fact that everyone has winter seasons. Everyone. And then eventually, spring comes again. Now, were some people's winters deeper and longer? Yeah. Is it all like even and shake out? No. I don't know why, like we're going to, we, you know, I got, I got a lot of questions for God, but does everyone go through winter seasons? Yes. Do we see most of them? No. Does everyone also have spring again? Yes. And there is so much evidence of that, but the people that get to that spring, as we talked about two weeks ago, more easily and quickly with, while inflicting less trauma on themselves and genuinely have the ability to find more hope along the way, everything we talk about inside healing burnout is the path there. That's the tools. That's the perspectives. It's the inside work. It's the outside work. It's the big picture. It's the granular. And it applies all throughout our life in every area of our life. And there is so much wisdom when you say, I want to learn how to heal my burnout around self-compassion, around statistics to help understand how common things are. You know, some of us sometimes need to combat things from the left brain of, you know, logic and data and tell me how common and factual this is. And some of us need to come from the right brain of tell me how to get to a better feeling thought about this. But it is really about kindness It is a kinder way to live where you are less beholden to the circumstances of life that are going to knock every one of us down at some point and you have a clearer perspective to be able to understand what's happening, to understand the human condition, to understand yourself and your loved ones in the human condition, to have more grace, more compassion, more softness, but also a strength because you have wise, actionable, science-backed, research-based next steps to know how to make yourself feel better. And those are the conversations that I've been having with myself, with my husband, with my family, with my friends, with members of this community. And it's why I am so passionate that this is a teaching that we all need, that we all need right now. We all need yesterday at any moment. We are all better for tomorrow 
because we have it today. We are better five years from now when you look at the story of my friend because she had it today. We create less chaos in my life like the colleague a year ago when we have those tools to not get into that position. And we are all going to have a time when a dream or a goal doesn't work out. We're all going to have it. And when we realize that, we now have more compassion for ourselves. We see it less as a, a failure, less as a shame. We see it more as just part of being alive. And it is less painful for us because we have the wisdom and the tools to navigate through it. And I'm just so grateful to my past self in 2014 for starting to fight for this work. And I am so grateful to myself in past self in 2021 for going deeper. And I am so incredibly passionate (laughs) between healing burnout and what makes women feel beautiful, that these are the two most complex teachings that every single woman needs. And right now there is a final opportunity to be live coaching with me through the last live session that I'm going to be doing of healing burnout. I just feel so compelled before I focus more on my little family next year and have less time to make myself so generously available to want to help people break through because I cannot imagine how I would have survived the last couple years of my life if I didn't have this. And I'm watching a best friend of mine live out a really beautiful life-changing story And I'm just so grateful that we've both done this healing work over the years and that I can watch her do it in a way that is rocking her world but has such peace and joy and ease when I can see in the past it would have created such heaviness and chaos and anxiety to have to make such a big choice. There's such a confidence, calm, and clarity that comes within ourselves when we have these tools. And I am so grateful to be in the company of women who want to live like that, who are living like that, who are going deeper together. Oh, wait. One more thing. Don't miss this. Before you go, love. P.S. Something I'm loving lately is that we have friends that as of last night, they just texted us officially are taking our apartment here in Brooklyn. Oh, guys. It is like we get to be dream home fairy godmother, fairy godfather to these friends. Um, It's a couple, Ryan and Tyler. Ryan was out of town for work, but Tyler came over on Sunday to see the apartment for the first time. They're friends of friends. They are best friends with some of our best friends, so we know and adore them socially. We've been over to their home. They just haven't actually been over to ours. So uh, Tyler came over on... Sunday to see the apartment. And it was just so fun to show someone this home we love so much and they're seeing it for the first time and they're geeking out. I mean, he walked into our bathroom and he was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's like a hotel. It's like, are you kidding me? This is like a hotel. And we were like, I know, right? It's like we remembered, even though we've always loved our bathroom, we remembered how we felt when we first walked in. And guys, this might not mean a lot to you if you live in like a certain part of the suburbs, but our, our primary bathroom has two sinks. It has two sinks. Do you know how rare it is in New York City to have a home with two sinks? I mean, that is fancy hotel living. When you go to a hotel, I mean, you go to a Best Western, it's going to have one sink, right? But you go to a nicer hotel and it, when it has two sinks and you can both spread out, like that feels luxurious. Um, our 
um, our microwave, it's built into, okay, so like you're standing at the sink to wash dishes, and then if you reach down to the right, that's where the microwave is. It's not an open one where you pull on a handle and you you open it like a door. You push a button and it, a tray slides out. Like the whole unit just slides out and then you push a button and it all slides back in. And I was like, here's the microwave. And he was like, wait, do that again. I got to film that for Ryan. <laughs> he was like, Ryan's going to love this. So he's like filming the way the microwave works. And I just, I mean, they texted us and said that they got it. We've been scheming this for a while. We were like, we would love if somebody would take it. We were trying to get our friends Roshan Kaj to take it. Then they were like, actually, maybe Ryan and Tyler want it. We are like, okay, great. But we kept being like, we don't know how much he's going to raise the rent. We know we've gotten so blessed here. We are definitely paying under market. Um, I might have shared this with you guys before, but we think what we heard from a neighbor, we think the deal is the guy who lived us here before us was a nightmare and like maybe sold drugs and the cops were called a bunch of times. And so our theory has been that while our neighborhood has exploded throughout the pandemic, this became like the number one of the number one neighborhoods everyone wanted to move to. So had we moved a year or two later, our rent absolutely would be higher here. Our theory has been our landlord here probably owns a bunch of buildings or a bunch of units, like is probably quite wealthy, is in it for the long haul to make money, not like what he's making monthly. So an extra, you know, 500, 1,000 a month is not really gonna make a difference to him. He cares more about these tenants are stable, they're easy, they're responsible, they contact me as soon as there is a water leak coming from the other unit. They are happy to have the maintenance people come right away and deal with it. They always pay their rent on time, like this is easy breezy. But we weren't sure when we leave, and he also was so generous to let us go to a month-to-month lease. That does not happen in New York City either. And um, we just did not know what was going to be happening with our surrogacy. I mean, for years now, guys, for years, between my book contract and surrogacy, the number of plans we have had when we were like, okay, we're going to move out at this time and save money because I'm going to be on a book tour anyways. And then we're going to be moving for the baby. So for six months, we could go to cheaper rent in between. Like we have a a zillion plans. And so we didn't want to be locked into when our lease was up in May. And so it was a miracle that he went to a month to month. So we thought, okay, probably there's a good chance he's going to really raise the rent and then our friends are going to be priced out. So we were trying not to get too excited by it. And, um, then they they texted and they're good. I mean, I'm sure he did raise the rent, but I just think he probably didn't go as high as he could have because also he has no vacancy. It works out for him. Like they're ready to take it right away. He doesn't have to pay a broker fee, which I didn't know until Jeremy and I were talking about California. Isn't a thing everywhere. But I don't, I, I've only lived in New York as an adult, but there's buildings like this. I think some of them are zoned to require a broker fee. So that means that the guy who showed us this apartment got, I believe, a month's rent. And either it's either you have to pay the broker or sometimes the owner pays the broker. So I can't even, I don't know, maybe we had to pay the broker fee. I guess in that case, then we saved our friends the broker fee. We saved somebody a broker fee. I don't know if it was our landlord or our friends, but our landlord knows he's getting... Uh, you know, stable tenants, recommending stable tenants. Our neighbor across the hall who we love, there's an older woman across the hall, native New Yorker. Um, Her husband sadly passed away during COVID, not from COVID, but just during that time. And um, she calls us her favorite neighbors. When we told her that we were pregnant, I saw her in the hall and she was like, hey, how are things going? I was like, we're good. I was like, actually, she knew we had done IVF. Her her kids had done IVF. And um, live in the neighborhood here. And, um, I was like, I was like, our, our embryo transfer worked, our surrogate's pregnant. And she was like, oh, 
she like gasped and stumbled backwards down the hallway and threw her hands up in the air. She was like, oh my goodness, mazel tov. Like, oh, she was just so happy. And I was like, oh, Roseanne is going to get these sweet neighbors living across the hall. Our sweet neighbors are going to get Roseanne living across the hall. It just felt like everyone wins. Everyone wins in this. And then we win in this because our... Our hope is that we will come back to New York to visit in the next few years and being able to come over, being able to come back to our home, being able to, you know, bring bring baby and, um, you know, take a picture out on the balcony. Like, I understand people who write personal letters when they're trying to buy a house. And I understand why owners will go for less money even, or choose one family over the other because there was that personal letter. And I've felt that with multiple homes. I have never owned a home. I've only rented in New York City, but I have felt that with multiple houses where when I moved out, my house on Dean Street was one and uh, the apartment we lived in before this um, was, was the other. Both of them, I just felt like this is such a gem. This is such a diamond in the rough. I could not believe it when I got this apartment. And it's like, I wanted a personal relationship with the person moving in. I wanted to know that they were going to love it just as much as I did. I wanted to feel like someone else was getting their dream apartment in South Brooklyn because I was, Jeremy and I were getting our dream apartment in North Brooklyn. You know, like it just, it, it, it feels good to be a part of that story, but I've never had that scenario where a friend moved in, where I, you know, could tell my neighbors, oh, it's actually my friend that's, you know, next door. Now you guys should be friends. And so I think especially to be leaving New York, which is so emotional for me, as you know, um, I think especially knowing that we're leaving and this apartment, I mean, I've, of, of, of all the girls I've loved before, of all the apartments I've loved before, this one is just extra magical, as you guys know. And so to leave this to people and to know that we maybe could come back, especially when we're leaving the city, you know, and like the likelihood that we're even going to be walking past it is going to be so rare. Whereas other apartments, you know, every time I'm in South Brooklyn and, and I can walk by the apartment on Dean Street, that is what my company Dean Street Society is named for, I always go past it. It's just like a walk down memory lane. I love it. But I could never go in it, but that would be really great. Like, you know, I always think about it when I go past our um, our our other place um, in South Brooklyn that we um, lived at, but I never, you know, can go in. So it is really, we're in a tough season right now. It's really hard to be leaving New York in my gosh, I think it's like six weeks and not know where our next home is. You know, we're leaving to go to Christmas at my parents and then we're going to take our, um, use our credit card points and go take a final baby moon for a few days while my mom watches Freddie at her house. Um, and that'll be our last, you know, traveling because then we don't want to be too far, um, in case our surrogate were to go into labor early. But that means it's not going to be until January that we can find a home and then we don't know if something's going to be available, you know, right away. And so we're nervous about when are we going to be able to move in? Are we going to be able to set things up before the baby comes? What if the baby comes early? Are are the things we want going to be on back order? Are we going to be like, yes, let's wait for the rocker we really want on back order? Or are we going to be like, oh my gosh, we spent the first month of our baby's life without a rocker. Like this was miserable. This was the wrong call. We should have just gone with the ugly one that, you know, we didn't want, or we should have spent the more money for the one that was available. I mean, there's, whew, it is a lot to be 
becoming first-time parents, moving states, not living in the city where your baby is born, your family not living in the city where your baby is being born. Like there is so much up in the air that, and I am just, I am a home person. Like my home, and I don't think everyone is like this. My home is so important to me. I think a lot of people are, but not everyone. Um, I've, I've always gotten this sense in New York that compared to so many friends here, home is much more important to me. And so to know that we are without a home and not sure where our home is, um, and there's just been some added complications with that recently that we didn't see coming, um, it's a really tough season to be in. And I, and it feels like a long season and it feels like we've known it was coming for years and now it's still, you know, months more. I mean, we're not even halfway through this pregnancy. I just said to Jeremy, we're at 18 weeks isn't 40 weeks full term. So 20 weeks, when we go to the 20 week ultrasound in two weeks, that's halfway. We've still got another whole half of this pregnancy. And then we found out we were pregnant when you know, you're already four weeks in. So we're not even halfway through the, the waiting period, right? It's like on day one, when you're pregnant, you're like, woohoo. And you already, you already got four weeks under your belt. So like that period of time doesn't really count. So it feels like a long time that we are going to be sort of wandering and in in between season. And I'm really struggling with that. And um, so to just have this one little element of joy and peace of like, we know the people that are living here and we know that they're going to appreciate it so much. And we know we're going to be able to, to visit it and see pictures of it. We're going to be able to picture our friends over here, even if it's not us. And I said to Jeremy, I know there's going to be a time when like Roche and Kodge are here and they're going to be on the balcony and they're going to text us a picture and we're going to feel sad that we're not there and we're going to miss it. But it's so much better than if we didn't know the person who was there, you know, like the next best thing is knowing that people that you care about are getting to enjoy it and that someone's thinking of you in that place that you loved. And it's just... It's a little thing right now in the midst of a lot of hard things that are happening. It was just a little joy. It's a little something I'm loving lately that I'm like, that was a good moment when we found out that they were going to take it. And we immediately sent them this video back being like, oh my gosh. And we were both crying. Like, and that was a good moment. And then getting to show them the apartment and see that they were so excited about it. Like that was a good moment. So I also just want to say if things are hard right now, Look for the good moments, be grateful for the good moments, and that the more I have learned and empowered myself to heal my burnout, I see more good moments. I have more good moments, even in the midst of a life that we all know (laughs) we cannot always control that is going to have its winters. I've got more hope in spring because I've done this work, and I am so honored if you are in this final cohort that I get to live coach through this and help you have this experience for yourself. I will see you back here next Your Welcome Wednesday with Grace and Oh, goodness, that's not all. Tell them one more thing, Hillary. 
PPS final reminder to make sure you register at hillaryrushford.com slash 13 signs. That link is in the description and do not miss this time sensitive healing burnout assessment where we go through a quiz and we give you a score to understand how burned out you are and what the factors of that are and aren't. And then do not miss this limited enrollment window for my healing burnout course, which starts today, Wednesday, November 1st, and is the final session I will be live coaching November 1 through December 15, a final cohort through at hillaryrushford.com slash burnout when the doors are open. Head to the description below. I will see you live on the investment and inside the community to begin coaching you personally. I cannot wait to get to know more of your story and hear and see and watch you heal over just the next few weeks. This is only the beginning of your next level of breakthrough to feel so much better, friend. Till next Wednesday.